And greetings from Community Bible Church. For me, it's uh, it's been a while, but it's good to be back here at the Cornerstone Bible Church. Of course, it's always wonderful to see so many familiar faces and uh, friends from long ago. And we just rejoice, along with my family, we rejoice to see how the Lord has been showing His faithfulness really for over 15 years now. Amazingly, to His glory, really, first and foremost, when you want to proclaim the excellencies of Christ, God gets behind that. (laughs) And especially when you get to focus on His glory going out to the nations, God gets behind that too. And so, again, it's to me, it's just a testimony of God being faithful to His own glory, His own promises, taking care of this church, building this church, even as Christ promised. And so we rejoice with you and we we praise God with you and uh, just pray for you. Pray regularly for this church. I actually got to spend some time with Pat Laxon a few weeks ago in the wilderness and he got to share just some of the things that are going on here at TCBC and my heart was just encouraged to hear just the wonderful things of what God has been doing in this church. And I know you guys are just grateful to see how the Lord has been with you, providing all along the way and using you guys in many different ways. And even just, again, well, even what's going to happen tonight, baptism, just communion, start kicking off a missions month, testimony to the glory of God being proclaimed here. And so we rejoice with that. Well, it's a privilege to be able to kick off this missions month. I praise God there's a like-minded congregation here that is wanting to see Christ's glory go to the nations because... If you know the Great Commission, it doesn't just say make disciples of your local community. It doesn't say just make disciples of the home. If you ignore that key distinctive in there, you're you're ignoring what the Great Commission is all about. Make disciples of all the nations. That is not just about Natomas, Sacramento, or even California. He wants us to be focused on taking his glory to the nations. So I, I praise God. That you guys are, see that distinctive in Scripture. Open your Bibles to John 17, and I want to just expand on that this morning as we kick off this missions month. And let me go ahead and just pray for our time in the Word. Lord, anytime we open the Scriptures, we need help. We need your Spirit. As listener, we need your Spirit because we can be so calloused and dull and distracted. As speaker, we need your spirit because we are delving into the things of God, things that are appraised and interpreted only by the spirit who knows the mind of God. And so we ask for your help all around, both for speaker and listener, that your presence would be among us, your spirit would be moving. Thank you for the Holy Spirit, that we are temples of the Holy Spirit, that you're with us. And that you want us to know you more. Your spirit, in fact, testifies with our spirits that we are children of God. To cry out, Abba, Father, to know these riches of grace that are ours in Christ and even the tasks that you've set before us. There are good works for us to walk in. And so encourage us this morning as we dive into the scripture, this great passage where we see Christ's glory and your glory, Father, in a unique way. Open our eyes to behold wonderful things. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Now, I don't know if you've ever been in 
a business office and you've noticed maybe some plaques on the wall. Maybe you go to your dentist or uh, your doctor and you'll notice that there are maybe some community service awards that they have on their wall, right? There's some some organization, maybe the city, thanking them, giving them a plaque or a certificate, saying, thanks for all you're doing for the community. Right? So there's this, this giving of gratitude that can happen. A person uh, might do something like clean up their community or contribute some money to beautify the city, and so the city gives back to them this 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 plaque of gratitude to honor them for the service they've done in that community. Of course, usually when that happens, it's the the organization itself, the city itself that decides whether they're going to honor you with that award or certificate. I mean, could you imagine if I went to City Hall and I went there and I said, hey, I just picked up a bunch of trash on your streets. I think I deserve an award for picking up all this trash on your city streets. How do you think that would be received? Not very well, right? I mean, it's I shouldn't be the one seeking that glory for myself, right? That's, that's inappropriate at the very least and maybe even a little prideful if I'm the one seeking that glory, if I'm the one asking to be honored. Usually it's the other party that gives the honor. Well, notice here, I want you to see something interesting here in John 17. Verse 1, Jesus spoke these things and lifting up his eyes to heaven, he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you. You see what Jesus is requesting here? He's asking the Father this prayer to glorify your Son. And who's the Son? It's Him. The one praying this very prayer. In fact, it becomes a little more explicit later there in verse 5. Now, Father, glorify me. Glorify me. Give me honor. Isn't that amazing? I don't know if you've ever stopped and paused at the this prayer that Jesus is saying and just been in awe at how incredible it is. For any of us to pray this prayer, Father, glorify me, you would think they were off their rocker. That there's something wrong with that person. Uh, in fact, I don't think I've ever heard another Christian, thankfully, Pray this prayer exactly like that. Glorify me. Oh, this is unique to Christ. This is something that he gets to pray for a very special reason. To hear any of us pray these words would be shocking and concerning. And so what's this prayer about? How does it make sense for Jesus that it's okay for him to ask for glory? Well, that's what I want us to consider this morning. And you might be wondering, okay, what does this have to do with missions? Well, it's my hope that you would see this wonderful connection. Christ deserves glory. That there's nothing inappropriate about this prayer here. The Father, in fact, 
he receives glory through the exaltation of his son. And one of the primary ways that he answers this prayer, that he receives glory and by giving glory to the son is through missions. That missions is the answer to this prayer of how Christ is glorified and the Father is glorified together with Him. The Son is exalted through having a people and giving eternal life to that people. Missions. The starting point, notice then, is God's glory and Christ's worthiness. There's your starting point of mission. And therefore, if you love Christ, if you've seen His majesty, and you've been captivated by His beauty, if you agree, there's a song we sing sometimes at our church. I'm not sure if you do it here. Let the glory of your name be the passion of your church. If, you, if your heart echoes that, if you echo Peter's words in Second Peter 3, to Him be the glory both now and forevermore then you can't help but be passionate about missions. It is, it is the primary way that this prayer is answered. For the Father to be glorified together with the Son. It's the ordained means of glorifying the Son. And so, it won't be just a casual interest that just comes up for us once a year. No, we'll, we'll want to participate throughout the year. We want to get involved throughout the year, whether going, proclaiming, praying, doing whatever we can to ensure that Christ's fame covers the earth because you love His glory. And so that's what I hope we'll see as we study this passage. Let's read verses 1 through 8 here in John 17, 1 through 8. Jesus spoke these things and lifting up his eyes to heaven, he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you. Even as you gave him authority over all flesh, that to all whom you have given him, he may give eternal life. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on the earth, having accomplished the work which you have given me to do. Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. I have manifested your name to the men whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they have come to know that everything you have given me is from you, for the words which you gave me, I have given to them. And they received them and truly understood that I came forth from you. And they believed that you sent me. We'll pause there. Now the first thing I want us to do is to ponder the reasons why Christ deserves glory. And make sure you concur. Ponder the reasons why Christ deserves glory and make sure... You agree with those reasons. This is the necessary starting point in the believer's heart. Again, if missions is ultimately driven by the glory of Christ, 
then if your heart doesn't say, yeah, Christ deserves this, amen to this prayer, then you naturally won't have a heart for biblical mission. And so we have to start here and ponder the reasons why Christ deserves glory. So why is this appropriate? Why is it appropriate for Christ to say, glorify me? Well, I think we get a hint right from the beginning. The first word of this prayer, Jesus addresses God as Father. Verse 1, this reminds us that, of course, He's the Son. He possesses this special relationship with the Father. And it reminds us of Christ's entire purpose for coming into the world. As seen through the gospel. The first time we encounter the Father, the word Father, is back in chapter 1, of course, when John says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw His glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. You know that verse, John 1.14. There we're reminded that the Son of God took on our nature. And what did He accomplish by taking on our flesh? Well, we benefited by seeing glory, John says. God tabernacled, as it were, among mankind, and we beheld His glory, specifically seeing that He is full of grace and truth. As Christians, of course, we know that we call ourselves children of God. But Jesus is that one unique son who reveals God in that special, fullest way. In fact, that's what John eventually says in verse 18 of chapter 1, right? No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, He has explained Him. And so clearly, one of the reasons why the Son came into the world was to reveal the Father. You get that throughout this book. That's one of the major emphases of the Gospel of John. He even makes this point here in this prayer, right? Verse 6. I have manifested your name to the men you, whom you gave me out of the world. In other words, John, Jesus saying, I came to reveal you. That theme comes up again. Father, I disclosed your name. I have revealed your being to the ones you've given me. Verse 8, too. The words you have given to me, I have given to them. So I've revealed not just your character, but even your words, your truth, your authoritative commands and promises. I've come to reveal you. And I think this is one of the reasons, one of the main reasons why Christ deserves glory and why the Father is so pleased to answer this prayer because Jesus properly and fully reveals the Father. He has explained Him. When you see Jesus, in fact, you see the Father. And what a contrast this is for us, right? As humans, we are beings created in the image of God, which means we're designed to reflect Him, to be His ambassadors in this world, His agents in this world. And don't, wouldn't you agree that we do a pretty poor job of perfectly revealing our Creator? 
we fail miserably at times. But Jesus perfectly reveals the Father. He's the exact representation of His nature. That means everything you see about Jesus is no lie about God. Everything you see about Jesus, you could say, is true about the Father. You wonder what God is like? Because God's invisible, right? You can't see God. No one has seen God at any time. That's what John says in chapter 1. But you want, you want to know what God is like? Just look at Jesus. Isn't that fascinating? Because he reveals him. So whatever you see in Jesus, you know is true of God. He does not preach a lying sermon about the Father. So since Jesus is compassionate, therefore you know that God the Father is compassionate. Since Jesus is willing to show kindness to sinners, you know that God the Father and the Spirit are all willing to show kindness to sinners. Since Jesus is full of grace and truth, since he's faithful, you know that God is full of grace and truth and faithfulness. There's nothing you see in Jesus that is not also found in God. Through Christ, you can see and know the Father. Again, what a wonderful comfort this is for us as sinners. Before meeting Christ, I don't know if this is something that was going through your head. Before you became a Christian, you just have these questions like, what is God like? Is he angry with me right now? Does he accept these prayers? Uh, does he accept this worship? Right? We have these questions about God because we don't know him yet. My conscience is telling me that I can't, I, I'm unclean. I can't approach God. You could even lose all this hope of relating to God. But then you see Jesus, who perfectly reveals the Father. And you notice what you see there? God is full of grace and truth. He receives sinners. He even dines with sinners. Wow, what a revelation. The Holy One. He's here with us. He's on the earth. And we're not consumed. Have you thought of how amazing that was? That no, during Jesus' time on earth, the earth never opened up to swallow up people. A flood never came and washed people away. The entire time while God the Son was on earth. Instead we get this full revelation of grace and truth. Astounding. I'm not consumed. In other words, there's hope for the sinner. Jesus helps us to see that. And the Father says, hey, you deserve glory for perfectly revealing. Now, we also have this incredible statement in verse 4. Look there in verse 4. I have glorified you on the earth, having accomplished the work which you have given me to do. Here's what I have done, Father. That's why... He says in verse 5, Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself. So notice, so it's not just about the Son perfectly revealing the Father, and this is why He deserves glory, but it's also about the works He does. He does these things 
I have accomplished everything you've given me to do. Therefore, I deserve glory. So verse 4 is the basis. Honor and glorify me because of what I have done. I've done everything you've told me to do, Father. Wow. And so it's not just about how he reveals the Father, but he also obeys the Father, does the will of the Father, both perfectly. And you know, he said earlier in this book, chapter 4, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and accomplish his work. In fact, in chapter 10, Jesus even said that if I don't do the works of the Father, don't believe in me. <laughs> he puts it that bluntly. Like, if I, if I don't accomplish the Father's will, you shouldn't believe in me. There's such a close connection between Christ's identity and the work he came to accomplish that if he fails to do that work, he's not the Son of God. And notice here, as he comes to the end of his earthly ministry, this is Thursday night, the night before Good Friday, that blessed first Good Friday. Look what he's able to say at the end of his life, essentially. I glorified you, Father, by completing the work you gave me to do. I have perfectly shown the world that you sent me. There's no other explanation for my life than that I came from you. Now, if you think about it, there's still more for Jesus to do, right? He still has to stand before the, the fake trials, be accused, be condemned to death, walk the road to the cross, carry his cross, hang there, be in atonement for sin, rise for the dead... I mean, there's still a lot more on his schedule to accomplish. But still, Jesus is able to speak here about accomplishing all his Father's will because he's fully resolved. He's not going to turn to the left or right. He knows he's going to remain committed to this. Even though he knows that even the hardest steps are yet to come, he views it as a done deal. I've completed the work you've given me up to this point, Father, and I'm going to remain faithful through it all. Nothing is going to change my path. And of course, you know what he said when he hung on that cross, right? The telestai. It is finished. I did it. I've done everything you've told me to do, Father. Every word you wanted me to speak. Every act you wanted me to accomplish. Every prophecy you wanted me to fulfill. I did it all. No exception. And of course, we ought to be so grateful for this because one of the primary works Jesus finished was making complete atonement for our sins so that we can have forgiveness. He fulfills all righteousness, opens the way to God, establishes the new covenant in His blood so that your sins can be forgiven and you can be His people. So that you, the wicked one, can have unhindered access to God. 
obviously that should make our hearts want to participate in answering this prayer, which we're going to talk about more in this uh, moment. Glorify the Son. Oh, yeah. I'm all about glorifying the Son. This should help us to see why the Father loves the Son and has given all things into His hands. What John says in chapter 3. He perfectly reveals the Father. He faithfully accomplishes all that the Father has given Him to do. And so, this is totally appropriate. Father, glorify Your Son. Glorify Me. And keep in mind, too, that when Jesus here is asking for glory. This isn't for selfish reasons. As if Jesus wants to steal glory away from the Father. You can see it already. We read the verse, right? He wants to be glorified together with the Father. That through His being glorified, the Father is actually glorified. There's a shared glory going on here within the Trinity. And there's no conflict. It's all in accord with the divine plan. So do you agree? Want to sing the Alleluia? Yeah. Jesus deserves it. He's worthy of it. He must be exalted. Obviously, there's so much more we could say about this. Why Christ deserves glory. Those are the main things I think we see in this passage. Secondly, I want you to ponder the means by which Christ receives glory. And make sure you understand your place in it all. Ponder the means by which Christ deserves glory receives glory and understand your place in it all. So here we have this request. Alright, glorify your son. We know that the Father will answer this prayer. But what's the mean? How is he going to answer this prayer? Well, verse 1, I think Jesus specifies the occasion in which he wants to be glorified. He says, the hour has come, verse 1, Glorify your son. So Jesus here is asking to be glorified in the context of this hour he talks about. So I think we need to interpret his prayer request in in that context, within that scope. What is the hour? This phrase indicates that there was a specific time Jesus' life was moving towards, all in accord with the divine plan. From the beginning of the gospel... Jesus was mindful and he kept hinting at this coming moment, important moment in his life. Back in chapter 2, the wedding of Cana, he told his mom, my hour has not yet come. Why do you bother? (laughs) So even at that point, he knew that there was this coming hour. I'm striving to reach that specific moment and I don't want to do anything to jeopardize me getting there. Chapter 8, John indicates that Jesus, the whole reason he wasn't seized in the temple, because all the religious leaders, they hated him. They wanted to get rid of him quickly. Right? The whole John explains that the whole reason he wasn't able to be arrested and seized at that moment, it was because his hour had not yet come. It wasn't time for that yet. But here, Jesus is saying, hey, that hour I've been looking forward to, the hour has come. Now is the time. And so we can conclude that the hour he was driving towards is this period at the end of his life 
all these events leading up to his death and resurrection. And again, don't minimize, this shouldn't minimize the rest of what Jesus has done throughout his life as if it was unimportant. But it does point to the special significance of this moment, of this hour, as the climax and consummation of his earthly ministry. Everything else, all the authoritative miracles, all the authoritative teaching, the conversations, all of that would be worthless and pointless apart from his death and resurrection. We would still be in our city. All that teaching would be meaningless. And so here's Jesus, right, saying, the hour has come. And in that context, Jesus says, glorify your son in light of this hour. Glorify me in this suffering. Glorify me in my arrest. Glorify me in my death. Now, doesn't that sound somewhat peculiar? I mean, it, it might make more sense if Jesus would ask for glory through all the events after the crucifixion, right? Glorify me through raising me from the dead. Glorify me through ascending me into heaven. Right? Because those are events that speak of victory, of conquering, of having won the battle, right? But being beaten? Crucified? Breathing your last? Isn't that just shameful? Isn't that pitiable? How does it make sense for this hour, the hour of his death, to be a source of glory for Jesus? Well, here's the amazing reality. Think about it. This is a prayer to the Father. So this isn't just about Jesus getting to the cross. And what he's accomplishing. the fa- He's asking the Father to do something here. You see that? The Father has to do something. Well, the Father answers Christ's prayer by taking this most shameful and offensive event. Torture, hanging on a wooden cross dying at the hands of godless men, though innocent. And he uses it to magnify his son. And I believe he does that by fulfilling his part in the plan of redemption. You see, Jesus doesn't just have a part in the plan of redemption. The Father also has a part in the plan of redemption. Have you ever thought about that? The Father has a part. You see, in this prayer, the Father and Son are in total agreement. They're all doing everything they have been predetermined to do. The Son says, hey, I've done everything you've told me to do, Father. I've accomplished all the work you've given me to do. Now, Father, glorify me by doing what you're supposed to do. And what is the Father supposed to do? Well, the Father is supposed to make Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God. That's what the Father's supposed to do. 
to use the words of Isaiah 53, the father is supposed to treat Jesus like that sacrificial lamb and cause the iniquity of us all to fall on him. The father is supposed to be pleased to crush his servant and put him to grief. The father is supposed to accept Christ's precious blood as of a lamb unblemished and spotless and to regard Christ's death as the once for all completed sacrifice that takes away our sins. And then the father is supposed to raise Christ as firstborn from the dead and to make his name the one and only source of eternal salvation to everyone who believes. what the Father is supposed to do in this divine plan. And in this way, the Christ is glorified in this hour as the Father and Son work in unison, as the Son perfectly obeys to the point of death, and then the Father exhibits Christ as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Making Him the promised seed who would bruise the head of the serpent that victorious warrior who would remove the sting of death, making him the bread of life that gives life to the world, the great deliverer who rescues us from the wrath to come, and the one and only mediator between God and man. The Father makes Jesus that. In this way, the Lord has caused His servant to be high and lifted up and greatly exalted. He's exalting his servant. The Father has glorified his Son by using this hour to make him both Savior and Lord. Lord and Christ. <laughs> and in this, the Father is glorified because he's the initiator of these things, the one who sent his Son into the world to be our Redeemer and exalts him to this unique and glorious position. Verse 2, we get an expansion on this thought. Jesus continues this prayer by saying, Even as you gave him authority over all flesh, that to all whom you have given me, he may give eternal life. So verse 2 begins with this conjunctive adverb, even as, which I think indicates that verse 2 is the basis for how the Son will glorify the Father. And I think a reason why the Father should answer Christ's prayer So here, Jesus is reminding the Father that, hey, this is all part of what we planned from the very beginning. You've already given me authority over all flesh in eternity past. In light of this role I would play, that I would be this second Adam who would not fail like the first Adam. You've given me this authority. And what's this authority for? Well, it's so that I may give eternal life to all, to a people that you've given me. What's this eternal life? Well, it's knowing God. Verse 3 says, right? What Jesus gives to people is this knowledge of God, this right to become children of God. Again, we see here this way that Jesus is the one who reveals the Father, who provides this access to the Father. And this is how it makes sense for the Father to answer Christ's prayer. Right? The Father gives Christ his son two things in this verse notice 
First, he's given him authority as life giver. That's Christ's unique glory. He alone is the bread of life. He alone is the resurrection and the life. No one else has the right to give life like Jesus does. Secondly, the Father has given His Son a people. So not only authority as a life giver, but a people. And who are these people? Well, certainly it at least includes all of Christ's disciples who were following Him at this time. But notice that he has in mind here an authority over all flesh. There's a larger group of people that God has in mind here. You look at verse 20, you can see that that scope is there. Verse 20, I do not ask on behalf of these alone. In other words, not just the disciples who are with me today, but for those also who will believe in me through their word. See who he's talking about there? This passage has in mind all the people, not just who were believing then, but who will believe through their preaching, through their word. There's others in mind here. Those are part of the people that the Father has given to the Son. There's a lot of giving in the Gospel of John, by the way. Right? Probably the most famous verse you know, John 3, 3.16, right? For God so loved the world that he gave there's giving there, that most precious verse. Obviously, chapter 1, just the sun coming into the world, there's a lot of giving. All throughout the Gospel of John, giving, pointing to the generosity of God, how God so loved the world and gave His Son. Notice, now there's a giving back, a giving to the Son Himself. I've given you a people. This is how I'm showing my love to you, Son. I give you a people. Of course, that makes sense to a certain degree, right? Because uh, he deserves glory, right? He deserves these gifts. He deserves this honor. But then another side of the coin, it's like, who are we? What kind of gift are we? <laughs> right? I mean, what kind of gift are we to bring glory and honor to Jesus? We're not that special, are we? We are the Father's gift to the Son, that this is the main way He has decided to bring glory and honor to His Son. And that's incredible. Think about it, because that's exactly what the text is saying. I, the one who dishonored Christ and belittled His glory, and yet now I'm part of this people that's given to Christ so that I might be a praise to His glory forever and ever? Well... This is possible because your life exalts Christ by serving as this evidence for the rest of time that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, who came forth from the Father, and He has this authority as life giver. Your being in God's presence, I mean, imagine you, a sinner, being in heaven for the rest of eternity. What's that going to shout to the rest of creation for the rest of time? You sinner, you murderer, you, you adulterer, you cheater, you liar. You being in heaven for the rest of time. What's that going to shout for the rest of eternity about God? He's compassionate. He's gracious. He's full of loving kindness. He's full of love forever and ever that's going to shout that message about your God. 
just your presence there. And so, yes, even us sinners, we can bring glory to God because of His grace. We reveal how astounding is His love. And so we're part of the Father's plan to glorify the Son. And notice God's desire in verse 24. Jesus desires that this people, given to Him by the Father, be with Him where He is, being around His throne in heaven, so that they may see My glory which You have given me. And so Jesus wants you to be there with Him, having paved the way for you to be there, Himself being the way, and Christ's splendor will be on display for you to enjoy forever, which will naturally impel us to just declare forever and ever to Him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. That's the eternal praise of heaven. That's what people are going to be saying forever and ever. You being there. So now, I hope you see the connection to mission. I hope it's obvious. How is Christ glorified? He's exalted through a people and Him giving life to that people. By the way, I mean, just what, what a thought that is, by the way. For Christ to be able to give life, what a life giver He is to resurrect dead sinners to know God, have access to God, and live eternally, having the abundant life forever. To breathe life into dead bones so that they live. What a life giver He is. He's exalted, in other words, through missions, through getting a people for Himself and receiving this people as the reward of His suffering, being the only name under heaven by which they can be saved. Only the preaching of Jesus. Only. And that leads to my concluding point. We've seen why Christ deserves glory. We've seen the means by which He receives glory. And now, participate in proclaiming and propagating the glories of Christ to the nation. Participate in proclaiming and propagating the glories of Christ to the nation. Well, it would be nice for us to be there already in Christ's presence, beholding His glory. There's a reason He hasn't taken us home yet. Verse 15, notice what Christ also prays. I do not ask you to take them out of the world. In other words, I may be going, but don't take them yet. (laughs) I want you to protect and keep them, yeah. But don't take them out of the world. Why? Verse 18, as you sent me into the world, I have also sent them into the world. Of course, in the immediate context, he's referring to the disciples who are with him at this moment. But, of course, we already know on, because of verse 20, I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those who will believe in me through their word. So he's sending them to proclaim a word so that others may also believe through their word, and then they will propagate that same message so others will believe in them through their word. And so... He says, don't take them out of the world because I have a work for them to do. Even as I had a work to do, I'm giving them a work to do. So he has in mind his people here that's been given to him by the Father. 
and he's sending forth the people he currently has to gather the rest of the people that he has been given from the Father. And so he sends us forth now in the power of his Spirit. Even though Jesus said it is finished, we're not finished. We don't say it is finished. We're us. Do you get it? We have work to do. You have a role to play to join the Father in bringing glory to the Son. You are sent to bring in this people this reward of His suffering. By the way, when you reread verse 2 earlier, right? Even as He gave Him authority over all flesh, did that remind you of Matthew 28? Does that make you think, yeah, all authority has been given to me in heaven? And then what's the next line? Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations. This authority is meant to empower us and direct us and help us in going forth to the nation. To get this people he deserves. Make disciples. So I wield my authority, Jesus says, to give eternal life to people. But I also wield my authority to empower you for missions. So even as I was sent, I send you. You're going to help bring in this people that belongs to me. So think about it this way. From a certain perspective, you. Make it personal. I. I am the Father's means for answering Jesus' prayer. Take ownership of that. Yes, you. You are how God wants to glorify His Son. You. Both in being this chosen race, royal priesthood, holy nation, a people for God's own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who has called you out of darkness into His marvelous light, that you may be such a people, but then also taking the good news of the gospel to another people so that they may be part of that choir. You are the means of that. Do you live like you are the means of this prayer to be answered? Transformed from a people who fall short of God's glory to being a people that would be to the praise of His glory. Think about that. And now He's using you to bring in a host from every nation who will surround the throne and sing, Worthy is the God. You love His glory. Does your heart want to sound the amen here of what you see? Yes, the Lamb is worthy. Give Him glory. Then participate in proclaiming and propagating the glories of Christ to the nation. Now, just some thoughts on what does that practically look like? Right? And generally speaking... As a church, we go and we send. We go and we send. What does it mean to send? Well, you must start by making sure missions isn't that fireplace that... You probably don't need fireplaces here, do you? (laughs) Terrible illustration. Where I'm going, I'm thinking, oh man, I'm going to have to change all my illustrations. (laughs) But imagine if you were in a cold place, colder place. (laughs) You light your fireplace, maybe some places in California, maybe one month a year, 
and that's all you use it, if ever, maybe like one week in the year. Don't let missions be like that. That fireplace that burns two weeks out of the year. No, you, your heart's going to be engaged constantly. Pray for those who are in mission. Take a great interest for those who've gone out for the sake of his name. Give, support, pray. You want to make sure that there are workers for the harvest, so you'll participate here. doesn't mean you have to... Not everyone is designed by God to go. But you're going to participate here in raising up a people who can go to the nations and proclaim the gospel where Christ is not yet here. You ever thought that the youth here could be that next person that goes out for the sake of his name? That means in your ministry, your own family, you're trying to help give and give pass on this vision of Christ's glory, making sure that they're zealous to bring in that people. It's actually pretty shocking how that was a there's this great training organization, missions training organization called uh, Radius, by the way. He was actually saying how, so they get, I forget how big their class is every year. They have a, a class that's like, um, every year starts in September, runs through about May. And he was just remarking, the, the founder of the organization, I had a chance to, he came visited our church a couple of years ago. He was just saying how about 50%, imagine this. So these are youths in their 20s usually who are committing themselves to go to the unreached peoples of the world and they're part of this training program about 50% of the students that come into this program they either have a parent or grandparent who's resisting them who doesn't want them to move out to one of these countries one of these unreached areas where Christ's glory must be proclaimed so that he might receive people from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And by the way, that's what we see is the people that the Father has given him is from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. So that's why we go to the nation. Because those are the people that the Father has given. We get more details on who those people are. But then, shocking, right? I mean, these are people raised in Christian homes, people raised in good churches, and yet they have a parent or a grandparent who doesn't even want them to go out for the sake of the name. I was shocked. 50% of them, he said. I was like, let's not hold on to our children as items. Are you willing to let your kid go to the nation? Is the conversations in your home, is it always about the American dream and career and just getting a good education and finding a good job and buying that nice house and living the American dream? Is that the sum of your conversations at home. Usually that's just an expression of how short-sighted we can be about this missions vision. That we're not willing to give up even our own children for the glory of Christ. You know, there's so much more that could be said here. If there are, you know, teens here, that's never too young for you to start thinking about what you want to do for Christ. 
I just challenge some of you young people. Ministry, devoting yourself to a life of ministry is a good thing. Maybe you might go out for the sake of his name. And church, we have to be willing to send them. We have to be willing to have those conversations. We have to be willing to disciple them, give them the leadership training they need, the discipleship they need, the experience, evangelistic experience they need. Support them in going. Start those conversations. If that's something on your mind, I was encouraged. I was at a church last week. Guy 19 came up to me just saying, which I'll share in a few minutes. I'm going to end right now. About what our family is planning to do. And he was encouraged by it. And he just came up to me 19 just saying, Hey, what steps can I take to go on such a path? And I was and I was like, wow. He just took the initiative. Came up and talked to me. I love that. <laughs> Somehow, he got this burden in his mind that he wants to serve Christ. It's never too early to start those conversations. So whether by going or sending, let's all be determined to proclaim the glories of Christ to the nations. Because he's given us eternal life. We are his people. He is worthy. Let's amen this prayer in our hearts. Yes, Father, glorify your Son. Let's be the instruments, the means that you receive glory through us. Let me pray. Lord, thank you for this fitting reminder and prayer of your Son receiving the glory that he deserves. Let us be to him a people in a praise that we ought to be. To see how we play a role in being that people and then bringing in that people to the life giver, to the eternal King. We love you, Lord. Thanks for your grace in our lives. In Christ's name, amen.